This is the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, episode 91. Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Weekly motivation and language learning tips to help you become fluent in any language. Now, here's your host, Ollie Richards. Okay, guys, welcome back to the show. Great to have you here. And today we've got something a little bit different. It's a longer episode than usual. And I'm going to be interviewing a buddy of mine, Luke Thompson. Now, Luke runs a huge uh, language learning podcast called Luke's English Podcast. So you can see what he did there with the name. And uh, I was, uh, Luke invited me onto his show a while back and we had a fantastic chat. And a lot of you guys uh, got in touch to say how much you enjoyed that discussion. So I thought I would reciprocate and I'd bring Luke onto the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, and we kind of continue the conversation, except that this time I'm asking him questions rather than the other way around. Now, Luke's been podcasting since the dawn of time, and he has reached, I'm sure, millions of, of English learners around the world. And he's also a very experienced teacher. We used to work together in the same organization, actually. Um, we didn't know each other, but we've since figured out that we used to work under the same roof, so to speak. And so given our sort of shared background, I really wanted to have a sort of open and honest discussion about about teaching and learning. And I'm basically going to ask him the main lessons that he's learned from all his years of podcasting and teaching. So it's a fascinating conversation. We get into lots of stuff. Uh, it's going to be very interesting for all you teachers out there as well, because, um, you know, we get into some of the more kind of technical sides of, uh, of, of teaching and learning. Um, and yeah, but that's it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll turn over the, dis- the discussion to you and you can uh, make what you will of it. I had a really good time talking to Luke. Uh, before we get into that, I would like to thank the sponsors of the show, italki. And, you know, in this discussion with Luke, we talk a lot about the importance of speaking, you know, as I always do myself. And italki is the best way to get regular practice uh, with your target language. So if you'd like to get a free lesson, head over to iwillteachyourlanguage.com forward slash free lesson. Now, it's time. Without any further ado, I present Luke Thompson. Okay, so I'd like, I'm very happy to welcome to the show Luke Thompson from Luke's English Podcast. Is that the right name, Luke? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, Luke's English Podcast and, and Luke Thompson. That is my uh, thought. I do have a middle name. You don't need to know that though, do you? Tell us what it is. <laughs> it's it's Daniel, but there you go, Luke D. Thompson. But I d- obviously, I don't call myself Luke D. Thompson because that would be very pretentious, wouldn't it? It would be pretentious, but yeah, also kind of cool. Um, well, Luke, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Very nice to be here. Um, I, I would just like to say, I I listen to your podcast, Ollie. Thank you very much for sharing all of your advice. Um, it's really helpful. I'm, I'm sure that all your listeners will agree uh, when I say that it's really helpful and very motivating. I'm trying to learn French. And, you know, I listen to, to you giving advice and stuff, and it, it, it makes a lot of difference. So, Oh, but that's very, uh, that, that's very nice of you. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm super excited to have you on because uh, I you were, you invited me to your podcast recently, uh, Luke's English Podcast, which has been going for a long time now, right? Seven years or so? Yeah, that's right. Seven years in, a, in about a month. Yeah. Cool. And we had, um, well, you know, congratulations on that. That's really fantastic. And we had a great conversation about all kinds of things. We probably could have talked for about a week. Absolutely. Um, if if we didn't care about the the sanity of the listeners, um, <laughs> and so I thought it'd be really cool to get you on here to have a chat um, because I know that people really enjoyed that episode, and I think uh, they'd really appreciate from hearing from from you as well because I guess often you know you're interviewing other people, but I'm super interested to hear about about your experience because you are 
Well, why don't you take a second to tell us a little bit about about you and who Luke D. Thompson is before we dive in. <laughs> so I'm Luke D. Thompson now, am I? Okay. <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, I've I've just been I've been teaching English for 15 years. Um, I'm I'm from England. I'm from London. Um, teaching English for 15 years. Taught English for a couple of years in Japan. You know the usual story of of the TEFL teacher who went abroad. So lived in Japan a couple of years. After that, came back to London, uh, taught there for about, what, eight years or something. Uh, and now I live in France, in Paris, and I, I teach English to French people. I, I, it's my job to try and help the French learn uh, English. Uh, and it's a full-time job, Ollie. Yeah. And how's it going with the French, learn, teaching the French English? It's, uh, it's not too bad, you know. They're, they're, they're okay. Um, you know, they're obviously... Being French, they've got their own, you know, unique uh, challenges with learning English. Uh, but I like teaching English to the French. Um, they're intelligent people for the most part, uh, but they've got a slight hang-up about uh, English, just like everyone else does, I suppose. Um, so, you know, a lot of it's about, you know, motivation, giving them op- lots of opportunities and encouragement to to speak. Uh, and it's it's good. It's it's a good experience. Absolutely, yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have an extremely experienced teacher. And so, what I would like to do today is to ask Luke about the lessons that he's learned from fifteen years of teaching. So, fifteen years of teaching uh, English and seven years of podcasting. Because I think you know, he, Luke, how many thousands of students have you taught over the years? Do you think? I've no idea. It's, uh... I'd love to have, you know, I'd love to have a list of all their names so I could remember them all and photographs yeah. and things like that. But uh, God knows. It, uh, do you think it's, I haven't do you think it's 10 billion? Yes. Okay, we've got I think the it's at least 10 billion. Yes. So, Luke's taught, so Luke's taught 10 billion people over the years, you know, give or take. Um, and um, obviously, you know, as a, from the teaching perspective, you're going to notice a lot of things from all of this experience that that us as language learners might not notice, right? So I think it's really valuable to take a step back and look at it from the perspective of the teacher. And also because everyone's probably sick of hearing from me. So, you know, we're going to get a different perspective here. So, uh, Luke, I asked you to, to think about the main lessons that you've, that you've learned from your 15 years of teaching. And, uh, I think what we'll just do is dive in and you can tell us what they are and we'll have a conversation and see where it goes. Okay. Right. Uh, by the way, of course, they're not sick of hearing from you, Ollie. Don't be ridiculous. Everyone loves listening to your, your podcast. Um, anyway, right. I just thought I'd flatter you there at the beginning. <laughs> it's, always, <laughs> it's always a good strategy for a guest. It is, isn't, isn't it? It? Yeah. it is. It is. Uh, okay. So um, I'm desperately trying to, to bring this all together. It's obviously very complicated. We're talking essentially about the principles of learning a language and how that applies to, to teaching. Um, I've learned those principles, I guess, through teaching. And so I've, I've tried to break it down into bite-sized things. So I've got, let's say, three, um, three things, let's say. So attitude, time, and practice. And it's some sort of combination of those things. So for the learner, for the language learner, uh, these are the, the, the key things for me. Okay. And then attitude, the te- attitude, time, and practice. Yes. Okay. Um, and then for the teacher, it's also about sort of supporting those things with material. And, you know, when I say material, I mean, you know, the things that we provide to our learners to help them uh, in the classroom, like the way that we do things in the classroom. But also, it, for me, my podcast also is material that hopefully will support the attitude, uh, the, the, the attitude towards practice and time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OK, so let's dive into those the three things about the learning 
and then we'll go, we'll move on to the the podcasting later. So, okay, let's so let's um let's talk a little bit more about those those three things that you identified. Okay, so the first one is attitude, and you know you talk about this all the time. You know, you're really on top of this whole idea, and that's essentially the mindset that we have when we're learning a language. And obviously, you need to be motivated to to be able to keep going. Um, you need to be mindful. That's uh, mindful of not just the language that you're interacting with, but mindful of the process in which you're you're acquiring that language. So you have to be, uh, you know, mindful of uh, uh, the you know the way that that you're learning, mm. uh, but also as you're listening or let's say reading or, or you know interacting in any way, mindful of bits of vocabulary, the way that the language basically fits together. Um, you know, you just have to constantly be sort of mindful of the living language I, I sound a bit like a jedi master at that point you know you just have <laughs> yeah, to be mindful yeah. of the living language but yeah if- that absolutely i mean so what what do you think are like when you meet a new student or when you think of the students that you've currently got like what would be the the sign for you how would you identify someone that has a gr- a great attitude and someone who maybe doesn't have a great attitude what, what are the telltale signs so the telltale signs like one of them would be uh to what extent they're kind of asking questions or reflecting on what they're doing. So a good student would probably in a class, let's say in a classroom, a good student would sometimes put their hand up. They'd, they'd obviously be keen to uh, solve certain problems that they come up against. You know, like let's say you're just doing a bit of grammar work um, and, you know, some of them will obviously come up against uh, cognitive dissonance, you know, they'll just be confused and not everything makes sense. Some of them will choose to just be all right with that. You know, I mean, some of them will be like, well, I'll, you know, I don't really understand this, but I don't really care. You know, and other, other ones will be like, I don't really understand this, but I need to understand it. So they take responsibility for not understanding things fully. So the, the, the good student will be the one who doesn't understand something and they'll put their hand up and they'll, they'll ask a question. They risk looking stupid in front of the rest of the class because yeah, that's ultimately- an interesting point, isn't it? That right, what you said right there, because um, this is one of the things I often thought about in the classroom, which is that you know you obviously you know we're there teaching the language and the students are there learning the language, mm. but there's so many other factors at play, aren't there? And anyone who's ever been in a classroom will know that you know not it's not always easy to stick your hand up and answer answer a question or, or ask a question in case you get yeah. something wrong or you look stupid, right? And so often, like, the the these social factors, um, what, you, what you'd call effective factors, these the, these really can get in the way of, what, of the work you're actually trying to do, can't they? Absolutely, yeah. So it comes down to things like, you know, tolerance of, of, of failure, you know, like you've got to be willing to fail. Um, willing and- to take risks. Yeah, and, and but also willing to fail to an extent. I mean, you know, because whenever you take a risk, the risk is that either you're gonna, you're gonna you might look a bit stupid, you know. Um, and it's true, it's true in in anything really. I mean, I do comedy as well. It's exactly the same thing there. If you uh, go on stage and and you're scared that you're gonna look stupid, then you know it's not going to work. That no one's going to find you funny. Whereas if you go on stage and you, you know you're taking a risk, but you think, well, if I do fail, which is possible, then that's all right. It's not the end of the world. And in fact, you learn from failure. Failure is, you, to an extent, you have to embrace failure. That sounds negative, but it's, I don't think it is really. You have to embrace those moments where you make a mistake and don't let it bother you. Like, to be honest, some people 
are blocked by the fear of failure and 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 that's the reason why they don't progress fast enough yeah. so you can fail you learn from that mis- mistake you don't let it bother you you just keep going yeah and i guess it's something that's easier said than done isn't it you know don't be afraid of making mistakes i mean i think we all are to a certain extent are we but aren't we but i, I guess mm. the like for me the main lesson from that from what you've just said is that you know when whatever we're doing whether we're in a classroom or out there speaking or practicing the language if you ever feel yourself afraid or afraid of making a mistake or scared to say something like notice mm. notice that moment right and push through it anyway yeah like feel feel the feel the emotion feel the fear but just carry on anyway and and talk or ask your question i think that's a that's a real sign that you're that you're doing the right thing yes and if you have failed you know if you if you did sort of uh, let's say, uh, try and say something and it came out wrong. Uh, afterwards, don't waste any time feeling bad about it. Instead, just use it as a chance to reflect on, you know, how you could have done it better. And, and then next time you will do it better. You know, this is basically the, the principle of learning from your mistakes. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Then, so that's number one. Um, what's up next? Um, so up next, we just have time. So, so again, something you've talked about a, a lot before, and, and that's just like, how do you use your time? And uh, so learning a language for me involves regular uh, work. So it has to be sort of, you know, consistent and regular. I think it should be long term as well. Um, That If if you're particularly good with the attitude and the practice, then you can shorten the the amount of time that you spend on it. And you're a bit of a a legend at this, um, I I think, you know, with your crazy 5 a.m. routine and, and all of those things that you can apply. Um, but I guess for, for most people, you know, who aren't quite as, as good at it as you yet, um, I think it is a long term process. And that means that, you know, you just need to find ways in which you can look to build language learning into your life over a long period of time. Don't get too upset if you don't get immediate results. Just remember that it's all part of a, a long term progression. It's actually an ongoing process. It never really stops, to be honest. No, it doesn't. Absolutely. Um, so, t- tell, tell me about your students then. Like, tell me about your students who have who you think get this right. Um, what, I, what's I, different? Because obviously, like, this is something that you don't see in the classroom, isn't it? Because obviously, what you're talking about this regular studying and regular work. This is what happens outside the classroom, and as teachers, it's one of the most difficult things to influence. What happens outside the classroom? Right. So, mm. what? Tell me about the students that you have or have had who. Are, are good at this honestly ollie it's difficult for me to tell you about students that i've had in classrooms because the nature of of the work that i do and the nature of the schools i work for is that i i often don't see students the, the longest relationship i have with a student um is is often just a couple of months really a few months and i, I might see them you know it's like an hour 30 hour course for example that's a typical uh period of time that I might teach a student it might be 30 hours maybe maybe 60 maybe 90 at most so I'm not really seeing massive long-term progression instead I'm there to you know work on the short-term stuff and then build in the 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 kind of metacognitive strategies that they can then take away for their long-term work but what I but since I've been doing my podcast for seven years I've had people who who've been listening from day one and I actually seven I get years. more. That's so cool. People have been listening to you for seven years. <laughs> I know, isn't it crazy? Yeah. I've got something like I've got over three hundred episodes, and it's 
oh, I worked it out the other day how many, how much time it is. I think <laughs> it's something ridiculous like they could listen to me nonstop for two solid weeks, which is definitely not a good idea. I don't recommend that anyone does that because if you just did nothing but listen to me for two weeks, you would both go insane and you would probably starve to death, you know? And that includes, you- that includes not sleeping as well. Yeah, you wouldn't sleep. You, uh, I mean, you'd have to multitask and sort of prepare food. Well, so don't. Obviously, no one should listen to it for two weeks solid. But um, you know, there's a lot of stuff. So the point is that I've uh, I've been doing it seven years, and people have have listened from the very beginning. And you know, not many of them survived that long. But you killed uh, them say, all off, right? <laughs> yeah, I killed them all off in one way or another, maybe. But no, some of them. I've got like a hardcore group, you know, in the centre who, who've been listening for for a long time, and you know, I sense that they have actually made a long term progression. Obviously, not only with my podcast, that's just part of it, but like uh, you know, I've received messages. I've I've actually spoken to some people who've listened to the podcast long term, and I can see the result. I can see that uh, they've improved and and even weird things like sometimes i get voice messages and things from people and they speak like me you know (laughs) i've created these sort of disciples or like created these clones of myself around the world it's it's really quite weird so they um, they use the same sort of expressions and and words that you would use you mean similar acts that they've picked up on the (laughs) okay similar sort of speech patterns things like that um not all of them, but every now and then I'll hear some person who's like been listening since they were 15 or something. It's like, oh my God, it's like yeah. a Japanese version of me. What, what happened? I've got <laughs> and, all these children around the world that I didn't know about. And so I guess that that really demonstrates the importance of time, right? That, you know, who knows what they've been doing for those seven years, but the fact that they've just kept it up and have kept listening to you, you know, you can't help but learn during that time. Exactly. And, and I think this goes back to attitude as well, that because it's a long-term thing, you need to have the right kind of attitude where, you know, you need to accept that it's going to go up and down. But I think dedication is key. Now, um, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm quite surprised that people will have listened to me long term. Obviously, I'm very happy that they have. But, um, you know, I've tested the patience of my listeners, I'm sure, in, in the past with, with some slightly off the wall episodes and things. But I think, you know, the results speak for themselves and the people who've listened to all of it, even when they don't really understand what I'm trying to do, like the episodes that involve bits of comedy and stuff, they might not really understand what's going on. But they realize that it's necessary or important to keep going and to push through these obstacles. And I think that's, you know, that's how attitude and time uh, sort of relate to each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. And anyone who's who's been listening to this podcast for a while will know that that's something that, you know, I, I consider to be to be really important as well. And I think with all, I don't know, with, with my languages, I think, you know, I, I know I talk, I talk about strategy a fair bit, but, mm. you know, so, so often I think like much of the, the secret source, if you like, is just I'm too stubborn to, to quit and too stubborn to stop. Right. You know, and then so over time, you know, you just can't help but keep learning as long as you carry on. But most most people will, I think they just shoot themselves in the foot by by quitting, by getting demotivated, which is why, you know, ultimately motivation is such an important thing. Yeah, um, I think that relates to material as well, which is like the fourth leg of this language learning table that i've shoddily put together all here. right but i hope you're not proposing we skip over number three 
Oh no, certainly not. Because I'm not. I wouldn't have that. So let's let's dive into number three. What's the third part? So the third part is practice, and you know, obviously, that's just the way that you apply yourself. So the specific things you do in your language learning, you know, mission. And um, so it's active or passive. Um, active would be, you know, working with the language in a, in a in a very direct, specific way. It also obviously means speaking, which is something that you talk about a lot. You know, just the importance of engaging in conversation. And that's, you know, the ultimate way because it's a combination of so many different factors. You're listening. You're, it's, it's sort of unconscious because you need to be fast. Um, it, it, you know, it's really like the juggling act. It's, it's, it's the, the best way. But um, other things, you know, controlled practice using a course book or using a self-study book or something or any of the other ways that you can do controlled practice with the language. And then passive practice as well. That's just ultimately uh, exposure to the language and and for me you know obviously for my podcast you know it's all about exposure long-term exposure so just time work. time spent with yeah. the language right yeah yeah so exactly. so t- tell talk to me about then from a teacher's perspective this mm-hmm. issue of practice how it relates to like what do you see any difference between the kind of language practice you can do inside the classroom and outside and if so how um, or what hmm. I should say. Well, the, the inside the classroom and outside the classroom. Okay, so I guess we're talking about students who don't necessarily have that much access to. Well, I guess I'm, I come back to the same question that I asked you for the previous ones. Like, what if you think of your successful students? Like, how hmm. do they practice? Can, do you, are you able to point to ways that they practice that make them successful? Like, what does good practice look like? Okay, so. It's a tricky question. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, I guess. No, no, but... it's, a, it's, it's a great question. I, I, I think there are many ways to answer that question. Partly, okay, partly what good practice could mean for, for students in a language class is that they use the language class as a, as a sort of forum or they use it as a, as a place in which they can get things checked. So I imagine that outside the classroom, they're doing lots of things with the language. I hope they are not just the homework I give them, but other stuff. And then when they're back in the classroom, that is their focused period where they can ask questions for the teacher. They can observe the, the way that the other people are learning the language. They can interact with the, the material that we're using in the classroom that day. And it's really a chance for them to do some very focused reflection. But also they can do active things in, in the classroom environment too because the, the classroom is a, a safe space. Um, so that means that they can experiment and they can play around. They can mess around with the language a lot. They can make errors and make mistakes. It doesn't matter because there's no consequence. In fact, the consequence is, is purely positive because hopefully the teacher will be there to pick you up. The other class members will be there to give you encouragement if it's, you know, a good team. And so the classroom is a safe space for messing around with the language. And this, this kind of feeds into something about comedy. And the idea with comedy is like, you know, you have to come up with ideas. You have to come up with jokes. How do you do it? Well, there's a, this principle of switching off your editor. So that the concept of the editor, it's, it's quite obvious, really. But everyone in their head, they've got some editor which is saying, you can't say that, don't do that. You know, some limiting effective filter, which is sort of stopping you from doing things. And, and you know, the mindset really for the good students, certainly in the classroom, is they use the classroom as a, a place where they can switch off the editor and just kind of make have mistakes. fun. Make mistakes. You know, it's like you switch it on, you switch it off a bit, 
But, um, you know, in certainly in role play activities or those communicative tasks that you might be given as a student in a classroom, you know, run with it, run with the task. Imagine it's like almost like improvisational comedy. You just turn off your editor and let it all happen. And then there's a reflective period after that where you kind of assess what happens. You know, you, you look at the, the create, you look at those creative moments and you assess like the, the way that you use language. Uh, and, and, you know, piece by piece, step by step, you kind of move forwards like that. So I guess you're talking about really, I mean, I, I suppose in order for that to happen, you really, you do need to be practicing outside the classroom, don't you? Because, yeah. because let's say you have a, like one lesson a week or two lessons a week, uh, which I think is the maximum most people would have. Um, certainly if they go to a language school, um, like you, it's the only time that you can really get that feedback and you can have the teacher or other students in the classroom saying, Mm. Uh, no, that was wrong, or yes, that was right, or reacting in some way that gives you a clue about about whether about the about what you just said. Yes. So, yes. yeah, I mean, I, I guess I suppose I mean, I, I mean personally, I don't, I don't, I don't often take group classes. I prefer to take one-on-one -on -one classes. Mm. Um, but I very much see that time as my opportunity to get get feedback from the teacher you know and, yeah, and in order yeah. to do that like because so many people like come to a class thinking okay i have to impress the teacher i have to speak in perfect with perfect language um mm. and not make any mistakes so that the teacher thinks i'm doing a good job right but, but actually the mentality is for me it should be the opposite it should be like let's get it all out there say as much as i can i love that phrase you used to switch off the editor and there's, mm. and make as many mistakes as you can because that gives the teacher the opportunity to show you what you need to work on, right? Yeah, exactly. There is it, – it's, you know, all these social factors, just like you said about, you know, students, they come in and they, they, they want to be correct because they don't want to uh, disappoint the teacher. They're coming out of like, – in a sense, the classroom environment is a mental space that was, that was defined when they were kids and that as soon as they go into a classroom – I mean, you know, unless they're particularly free-thinking people, they might just revert to the to the mindset that they were in at school, which is where there's discipline involved, you know, uh, and and it's not necessarily the the right situation for learning a language. And so there's a right or wrong answer to every question, which is yeah, exactly, <laughs> right or wrong answer. Uh, there, there's a chance that you know, depending on where they went to school, of course, there's a chance that uh, getting the wrong answer could result in you know repercussions, like genuine repercussions you know we, we all know about things like you know the punishments that that kids receive at school or they used to in the past you know <laughs> so it's not necessarily the right kind of spirit for for language learning and and people will automatically fall back into that kind of thinking when they're in the classroom where they're like oh you know i don't want to raise my hand i don't want to give the wrong answer uh and and that sort of thing so for the teacher you've got to try and break that down at all all the time while also maintaining it because there's some good things about that because it creates order and it creates you know uh, the you know sort of controlled conditions uh so it's a sort of juggling yeah. act you know. for the for the teacher it's extremely hard as well isn't it because you've got to have all these you know especially when you learn when you study teaching and um pedagogy and you mm. know you you kind of have uh, you know as i think both of us do the the, the theory in in mind mm. but then it's such an exceptionally difficult task to create the perfect classroom where all of these conditions can 
can yeah. thrive for all your students. I mean, it's an, it's an impossible task, really, isn't it? And as, yeah, a, you, as a teacher, you're just doing the best that you can. Absolutely. And uh, it's, you know, you try to let the students know that they're, they're, they've got half the responsibility, that it's 50% teacher, 50% them. And, and they've got to play their part. And that means, you know, they don't really know how to play their part unless they have listened to your podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, well, there's, there's, there are a lot of, um, a lot of very natural language learners out there, actually. There's a, I've come across a lot of students who are, re- who really do, um, you know, proactively go out there and, and, and look for the best way for themselves to learn a language. Although I've often found ironically that some of the most talented language learners out there, they don't really, go to let the language classroom because they don't really have a need. They, they, they got a much better able to do it yeah. uh, by themselves. No, you're right. I, I have, I have actually met, you know, many students in classrooms who have, have got exactly the right idea and it's just a breath of fresh air. It's brilliant. Yeah. And, and those, those students can sometimes sort of uh, inspire the other people in the room. You know, it, it's great when you get, you know, a certain number of people like that in a classroom because they bring up the whole level. It's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think that, I mean, I, I pity the teacher that has to teach me in a classroom. Honestly, <laughs> really? I'm, I'm the worst student in the world because I just want, I want answers to my questions. I want to do things my way. <laughs> it's like, what, you're disruptive to the other students? Well, is, is I mean, it? not disruptive in the kind of, like, I don't know, in a discipline sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of trying to stick blue tack on people's ears and things like that but like oh. you know I, I just i guess it comes with it comes with the territory doesn't it once when, when you've got an idea of how you like to do things the the concept of someone else kind of slowing it down and controlling your learning process is kind mm. of great but anyway let's not go down that that rabbit mm. hole yeah. Because, yeah yeah cool all right so we've covered the three the three things from the point of view of the of the learner um what's what's up next so the fourth thing was material which is sort of like an extra little add-on thing really uh, and 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 it's 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 for the teachers, I suppose, but also for the learners, because you know you just got to pick the stuff that you use in your in your language learning process. Um, and so, from my point of view, as a teacher who does a podcast, material is really important. And and you know, if I talk specifically about my podcast, I've tried, and I continue to try to make that content which is really going to support those three things. So. You know, and, and for learners, they need to try and also find content that they think is going to support those three things. So it means content that, you know, is, is hopefully motivating, like nice. If, if we're talking about a podcast, for example, or stuff to listen to, uh, it's nice. It's motivating. You enjoy listening to it and it just supports that attitude. You know, it's kind of stuff that you want to listen to. Um, and stuff that you can you can understand and that allows you to be uh, mindful of the language as you listen to it. It's it's stuff that is in a form of the language that you're interested in. For example, I don't know if you're learn. Let's say you're learning Portuguese. Which type of Portuguese is it? You know, you're going to learn Brazilian Portuguese or Portuguese Portuguese. I mean, it's it's obvious, really. You'd you'd pick the the the, the material that is in that language. Um, yeah, I guess there's two implications there, aren't there? I mean, for the student, obviously. Um, it just that just highlights the importance of of not just using the first text, but or like your your grandma's old uh-huh. Portuguese text, but but actually going out there and finding stuff that you want to learn with and that you like, right? I mean, it's such an important thing. Yeah. But you know, I remember from from my teaching experience, one of the like every teacher knows the importance of of 
materials and just how much that impacts you know the material that you choose depends on whether your students enjoy the lesson or not and you know you get the right spend time getting the right material and it can just produce the most incredible atmosphere in the classroom but mm. it's also very hard isn't it because finding you know in language schools when you you often have a syllabus to follow and you don't have the luxury of just as with your podcast for example just recording a topic on anything under the sun that takes yeah. your fancy right you've got to let's say you have to teach uh the the present perfect you yeah. you're you know it's not it's very time consuming to actually go out there and find, or if not impossible to go out and find <laughs> the you know the most motivating material that not only helps you teach that that language point but also is, matches the interests and needs and level of your students yes. and this for me is like one of the key problems with the whole language teaching industry is that you this the kind of prevailing approach is let's teach let's have this structured syllabus where we progress from one thing to the next mm -hmm. and it makes the uh, so i always felt that there's this huge um this huge kind of uh contradiction between what we were being asked to do as teachers and then what we knew that we would do ourselves yes, given yes. given the opportunity yeah uh, you mean the idea of kind of writing the lesson plan and then going into the classroom and then just throwing it away and just well, uh, not just so much that, but I, I guess I, I, I mean not not having the lesson plan in the first place or not having it imposed on us. I mean, because like as a teacher myself, given the opportunity, I would throw away a a structure, a, a syllabus that says like let's learn this grammar point and then learn that grammar point, and let's instead just choose a whole bunch of material that my students are going to love. Yeah, um, such as seven years of Luke's English podcast. <laughs> And then use that as the as the basis of, uh, of of learning, because within that you're going to have everything that you could ever need to teach. Right, right. Well, it's I, I, so the, the point I, being that it's 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 a dilemma for it's very very hard for teachers to always be choosing finding the right material that meets or that satisfies all these conditions that we've talked about. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, just one point which I think relates to this, and that's that something I remember being taught when I was doing my diploma course, and that was the idea that yes, you have to write a plan. And it has to be extremely detailed. You've got to stay up all night writing it. And then when you're in classroom, just make sure you don't teach the plan. You teach the students, you know, teach the students, not the plan, which is kind of very frustrating for the teacher, especially when you're being assessed. It's like, well, you know, I just followed my plan. What's wrong with that? And uh, the, your examiner says, well, no, sorry, you were teaching the plan. You weren't teaching the students. Well, why the hell did I have a plan in the first place? You know, it can be frustrating. What that means is that... Um, you know, it's very good preparing a syllabus and preparing a, a course outline and, you know, even a, a plan for an individual lesson. But ultimately, when you're in that room, you have to respond specifically to the people you've got in that room at that moment. And you have to be prepared to abandon that plan. So, yeah. So maybe ultimately you've got to just find material that is very motivating for those people and that is and you have to have an approach which is flexible enough to be able to adapt that material. Yeah. It's difficult I, to think on your feet, though. That's why you have well, to prepare but, but, it in advance. But that's the thing, isn't it? Because I, 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 I wouldn't want any misunderstandings here that I'm saying that, that, that there's anything wrong with a syllabus. I mean, a syllabus is a great oh, thing. Yeah. Um, it, for me, it's the time implication for the teaching. You know, like when, as a, as a full-time teacher, if you're teaching, say, 24, sometimes 30 or more hours a week, like you simply don't have time to put into finding... The best material for all those classes, right? Which is why people end up falling back on on textbooks and and mm. things like that, um, well, because because it, it's just yeah. there and it's ready and you know 
better to go with that, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the textbooks are very well. They're they're incredibly rigorously prepared. Uh, They're excellent. Um, But really, I think the best teachers are the ones who know when to stick to the textbook and when to branch off and and do something else. And often it's the, the moments where you branch off and do something else that are the more effective, I, I think. Yeah. So what, what, what for you then is the main, of, for this particular topic here about the materials, and what do you think is the main lesson for students, for people learning a language? What's the, the number one thing for them to take away? Oh, goodness me. Um, hmm. That's a really difficult question for the student's point of view. Um, I suppose it's just finding that material, that, yeah. not being afraid to, to ditch the textbook and f- search for materials. Yeah. topics that you like right i guess it's a question of sort of trying to be trying to think outside the box a little bit and being and and, and searching around for authentic material and and then being a bit selective and if you can find some some more authentic material in that language it is possible for you to use that and and use that as a springboard um but also i think it relates to a, a bit of a hole that exists in the the language learning industry, let's call it. I mean, it's a, it's partly a whole, but I mean, things like the, how many podcasts are there in, in other languages that are really engaging and really entertaining for their own sake, you know, just rather than those podcasts that you, that um, teach you language for traveling. Yeah. It's a little I mean, bit I've certainly seen, uh, I mean, there are, I guess, like, like the two of us, I mean, certainly like you, that there are people out there, who are just committed to creating fantastic material uh, for learners of different languages. But I guess the thing is that they just don't get the commercial reach and they don't, they're, they are not picked up by the big publishers. Um, And yeah. yeah. And yeah, when we were talking, we were talking earlier about, um, I'm, I'm I'm getting ready to release a book of, of uh, short stories for English learners, Mm. for intermediate English learners. And um, we were talking about the fact that it's, it's really important to for the stories to yes. stand on their own two feet, you know, to be entertaining and engaging in themselves because just what we're talking about, right? If the material is interesting, then you're going to learn more, you're going to yeah. study more and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think this this is something for the content creators to, to think about, which is that, um, you know, we need to try to make sure the material that we're presenting our students is genuinely engaging and entertaining and you know because that's about reward that goes back to the attitude thing of like trying to support the right attitude that if the material um is rewarding then that's that's going to help with motivation and when i say rewarding i mean if it's just enjoyable to consume you know not just for language learning but for life in some way like for example i mean what i try to do on my podcast is as well as present language I want it to be rewarding on a sort of moment by moment basis. And that means, you know, maybe throwing in a little bit of comedy if, if I can. Uh, and I don't think that it's always funny, uh, but I try to make it funny, you know, and, and, and I, I hope that little bits of reward help to help the material to, to, uh, support the whole attitude practice time equation. Yeah. But, Absolutely. Yeah, but I don't know quite how a learner is able to apply that principle. You just have to be selective, I suppose. You have to be open-minded and, try and search the web for, for stuff in the target language that you're looking for that you really find enjoyable. You've, you've talked before about watching Hong Kong 
uh, drama series and yeah. stuff like that, which I think is a good example of what we're talking about. Yeah, cool. Well, listen, we've covered so much. I mean, uh, this is this is quite a lot longer than most of the episodes. But like I said, like, as we were saying before, <laughs> like you know, we can. I'm sure we could probably do a. a a three month long episode if we really wanted to. Yeah. But seven year, seven year episode. Seven year episode. Um, that yeah. would be, that would be tiring. Um, so let's have a quick recap of what we talked about, um, today. So your, the first point that you mentioned was the attitude and how important it is for, mm-hmm. for people to ask questions, be willing to solve problems and be willing to fail. Right. And then in the, the second point was about time and how important it is to just work regularly at your, the language that you're learning over the long term, however, yeah. whatever, however hard it may be, or however much you might want to give up, just to keep going. Yeah, just let the time work in your favor. The third was practice, and you use this fantastic phrase about switching off the editor, and um, so the importance of being willing to practice and not uh, worrying about making mistakes, just using the language and seeing what happens, I guess. Yeah, that's, that could be just quite a fruitful way to be creative. And, and to an extent, I think learning language is about being creative. You know, you can apply the, the principles of being creative in something like comedy to learning a language. Turn off the editor and more stuff will come out, which you can then refine later. Absolutely. And then finally, materials and the importance of finding materials that are motivating and enjoyable and um yeah well listen that's it's a that is a time that is a list that will stand the test of time i hope um, so massively massively useful and um i guess for me what this really highlights is just the importance of coming back to fundamentals you know not not always yeah. looking for the new latest tips and tricks but just getting the basics right and you've got 99 percent of your your work there luke thank yeah. you so much for your for your time it's been loads and loads of fun um why don't you take a second to tell people where they can find you and what they can expect when they do so uh, probably the best way to find me is just to go to my website, which is uh, simply teacherluke.co.uk, uh, teacherluke.co.uk, and that's where they can find all my stuff. So there's all the episodes of my podcast, all seven seven years' worth or whatever it is, uh, two weeks of solid listening's worth there. Uh, so they can find the podcast. I've got another podcast too, which is called A Phrasal Verb A Day, and that's all about phrasal verbs. They're, they're much shorter, those ones. They're about sort of just a couple of minutes each. And uh, they can find out about my comedy stuff. There's links to comedy shows that I do and all the other bits and pieces that I'm involved in. Fantastic. And yeah, and Luke was telling me earlier, he does a regular stand-up comedy night in Paris on a Thursday. So if any of you guys are in Paris, definitely... uh, Do you want to give this out publicly? Sure, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) So yeah, if you're in Paris, come down to the show. I I perform a... At the moment, I'm doing a two-man show with my friend Paul Taylor, who recently went viral on the internet with a, a video about uh, the kissing culture in France. It was called La Bise. Um, and so Paul and I uh, do a two-man show. And the, the show is basically about two English guys sort of, and their experiences of living in Paris. And the show is called Sorry, We're English. Um, and it's at 8 p.m. at the Pan Am Art Café uh, near Republic Station every Thursday. Fantastic. All right. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much again. It's been uh, loads of fun and we'll uh, hear from you next time. Thank you very much, Ollie. It's been a great pleasure to be on your podcast. Thank you. Cool. Take care. Okay. So I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Luke. Uh, so much stuff there, really. Um, you know, it was really great to talk. And if you would like to ask me a question about language learning, you can simply head over to IWillTeachYouAlanguage.com forward slash ask. Now, I usually leave you, leave you with a, a resource 
uh, at the end of every show, but I think you've had quite enough for one day. Go and check out Luke's podcast over at Luke's English Podcast. And uh, that's it. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode of the podcast.